Our other panel is Mr. George Skabeen, who is the Acting Deputy Assistant Secretary for Policy and Economic Development for Indian Affairs. And Ms. Penny Coleman is the Acting General Counsel of, National, of the National Indian Gaming Commission. Welcome to both of you. Uh, George, we'll begin with you. Welcome back. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Mr. Vice Chairman. I'm, I'm pleased to be here today to, um, to uh, present testimony on uh, uh, the exception to uh, Section 20 exceptions uh, to, the gaming, uh, to the gaming prohibition on after acquired land. Um, my um, written testimony will be, will be part of the record. Uh, but what I am going to want to discuss today is um, how we have implemented Section 20, um, since 1988, uh, what is currently pending before the department, and, and what we hope to accomplish, what we're facing in the future. Uh, <clears throat> we have, um, I, and for that purpose, I, we have produced to my testimony a number of charts, and here we have a visual aid uh, that, will, that will help with uh, showing what, what we have. And we'll start first uh, discuss briefly the approved gaming acquisition and acquisitions that are on reservation or contiguous to the boundaries of the reservation. And since 1988, we have had essentially eight of these. And uh, you, can, you can point where they are. That's the first, that's the first chart. And that, that's where they are. And of these, five are where, uh, four were on reservation and uh, three were uh, contiguous to the reservation or sort of are both uh, on and off uh, at the boundaries of the reservation. So this exception has, hasn't really, uh, has not really been used uh, very much, and I think part of, of, and I think that what that shows is that by, by, by far the majority of, of, of tribes are operating gaming establishments on their reservation on lands that have been acquired in trust before October 17, 1988. Of course, our, our position is that uh, in order to, uh, that if the definition of Indian lands would authorize gaming by tribe on their reservation if the land is, is not in trust, as long as it's owned in fee by the tribe. But these tribes, there are some advantages to taking the land into trust, and essentially that we, that, that's what's happened on, for these. The next exception that I wanted to uh, talk briefly about is the initial reservation of Indian, an Indian tribe acknowledged by the Secretary under the federal acknowledgement process. And here we have approved three of these, of these uh, acquisitions. The first one was for the Mohegan tribe um, and, uh, back in 1995, and the next two were for tribes in Michigan. Uh, I want to point out that, that um, under this exception, uh, the, uh, only one has actually gone into trust. The other two have been, are the subject of a lawsuit and essentially, so the, the land has not been taken into trust. The fact that on our chart, the fact that we showed that, the, uh, that those that, that were approved, of course, does not mean that the land itself has been taken into trust because a, a number of them can be challenged uh, for various purposes. Um, for instance, on the, in, even on the number one, uh, I think that for white earth in, in Minnesota, that land has still not been taken into trust because there are encumbrances of, of other, or other issues. Now, with the, um, Initial reservation of Indian tribe acknowledged by the secretary under the acknowledgement process. Our, um, our position has been the, that in order to qualify for this exception, the tribe has to show substantial historical, cultural, and geographical ties 
to the land. Um, and when, what, we, what we do when we look at the application is we look at the record that's compiled by the, uh, by the federal acknowledgement process, which are, which are thousands and thousands of pages that essentially follow the, the history of the tribe and where it's been and, and, and essentially will tell us in a fairly objective way whether uh, that tribe will qualify under that exception. Um, how, do, how does that work if a tribe as testified by the two previous witnesses uh, want to acquire lands in another state for purposes of a gaming operation? Well, they cannot take advantage of that exception. If they, if they try to take advantage of that exception, they, it will be, be disapproved. Um, I think that, for instance, for the, um, the, the Gina Band of Choctaws will testify uh, later. Uh, I know that as uh, uh, Senator Vitter, Vitter mentioned we disapproved the compact for that tribe uh, for land that was off reservation, and I think the reason for the disapproval was that, well, the reason for the disapproval was not really because there was all this congressional objection. Uh, hopefully, we, we followed the law, and, and essentially we found that the payment that the tribe was was agreeing to make to the state was in exchange for the governor's support of the tribe's initial reservation at that location, and we felt that. That designation is not in the, in the governor's, is not the governor's to make, but the secretary. And we, we indicated, uh, Secretary Norton indicated in her letter of disapproval that, that uh, she, although that was not an issue in, in the compact, that she would not be uh, willing to approve an initial reservation under this exception uh, several hundred miles from the tribe's uh, traditional area. Um, and that's why we, it's, it's a fairly difficult process. And, and we look at the historical record. I know that for, there are tribes that are, where they are pending initial reservation. That's what we do. I know that I've, I've been in, I've talked in some, to some groups who have challenged whether the tribe actually is from the area where they claim to be. And I think we, we make, we look very carefully at, at all the records, not the, on the one that is submitted by the tribe, but the one that's submitted by the local community or anyone who has an, an issue with that because I think the secretary is definitely does not want to place a tribe in a community for initial reservation where they're not, where they don't belong, in other words, where they're not from. So, uh, the test that, that we have, we have devised on a case-by-case -case basis has, has not been applied many times, but that's, that's the one we have. Um, but, and that's why for this exception, uh, to call that reservation shopping is, is misguided. The, these tribes are, are not shopping, the ones that will be approved are not shopping for a reservation far from their, their homeland. They are tribes that, that are essentially have nothing. They have no land. They have, a lot of them have no money. They have, um, they have been denied recognition for years and after a, a very hardest process, sometimes that takes 20, 25 years, they finally recognize. They're seeking some, they're, they're seeking to take advantage of that exception for gaming, but really what they want is, is land for, for economic development. Uh, and because we insist that they have strong geographical and cultural ties to the land, uh, I'm not sure that the reservation shopping tag would apply, can, can be applied to that exception. Um, let me move on uh, to the, uh, the next one, and, and uh, that is the approved gaming acquisition for the restoration of land for Indian tribe restored to federal recognition. And that, in that case, we've had 12. In the chart that we have, we have, um, we have uh, uh, tied our 
we, the, the chart only concerns those lands where the tribe wanted, needed to acquire land in trust, and then we have the way it works is that if the land is not in trust, then the tribe applies, and, um, and we have to make a determination on whether it fits within the exception. And my colleague, uh, General Counsel of the NRGC, will, will delve into this issue in much more detail. Um, so I think I'm going I'm to skip over it, except to mention that if you look at the list that we have of the 12 tribes that they've qualified under this exception, I think all of these have been qualified uh, because they were restored by, by federal statute. And the, the land that was that that was uh, uh, that was the subject of the exception was land that was specifically mentioned in that statute, uh, the, the restoration statute, as being land that the, that the secretary could or had to take in trust for the tribe. Some of these uh, that are listed in in our chart are are mandatory acquisitions, and and some of those were discretionary. Um, and, uh, for instance, we, I see here that we have number eight. We have the Litton Band that was the subject of the previous hearing before uh, this committee. Uh, this was a, a mandatory acquisition for that band, for, for that tribe. And when that happens, of course, we have no discretion at all to say yay or, or nay. Uh, but, most, but, but some of them are, are, are discretionary. Uh, finally, let me briefly mention the um, approved gaming acquisition for settlement of a land claim. And here we have had essentially, since 1988, it has been applied once, and that is for the Seneca Nation of New York. We have four, at least four, four it's four, listed four times in our charts, but they're all for the one tribe. A, three of these acquisitions, in fact, are gaming-related, they're not for gaming. So uh, there, that was under the 1990 um, Seneca Settlement Act. Um, I don't think that it was enacted with eager in mind, but it just so happened that it, 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 it would have qualified. Uh, so the bottom line is that if we look at past practices, we really do not see the problem that, that, that has been mentioned by the senator in the previous panel. Essentially, we've had not that many applications. They have been uh, they have been carefully considered, uh, and um, as you can see from from the record, it, it hasn't been a runaway runaway uh, problem of Indian tribes seeking lands off reservation. Now uh, there may be a a, um, a problem in the future. We're not discounting that, and we are we are we share the the committee's concern in this regard. Um, but as for the department, for instance, with the Eastern Shawnee tribe that. Um, uh, Senator Voinovich mentioned, we uh, do not have an application. We have not talked to the tribe about that. We have had essentially no communication at all. We are aware of what's going on basically because of clips in the newspapers. Um, and, and that's true in, in some of these other instances. I have seen a list, um, uh, for instance, that um, a, a, a group in California, Stand Up for California, puts together of pending and rumored acquisitions. Uh, and, and it's true that, as the senator mentioned, that there, there may be close to 40 in there. But in, in fact, what we have pending, and that's the second chart we have, is uh, the pending gaming acquisition. Is, and we only have about 11 pending right now, certainly not 40. And the reason there are 40 is because there is, um, there is a lot of money to be made in, in gaming. And this is um, you know, for the land of free enterprise and people... Uh, looking for opportunities. So these deals are talked about and they are, they're raised by the newspapers, but, but in fact, we have not seen many coming to actual fruition. 
and and the reason is that it's a it's a very difficult process. Um, briefly, let me uh, let me mention the the two party termination is not part of this thing. As, as we've I said on many on many instances, the um, the we've only approved three since 1988, uh, and we have uh, about eight pending right now. Those are, this is for the two party termination exception. I think the the uh, some call it the true reservation shopping exception because it allows a tribe to submit an application uh, when none of these other exceptions apply for land that could be potentially uh, out of state and where the tribe has no uh, significant cultural and historical connection. Uh, but in effect, it's a very difficult process, and, and it, it, has to, it goes through a rigorous test, and we, we have to make a determination that the, the gaming establishment is in the best interest of the tribe and its members, not detrimental to the surrounding community. We have to uh, consult with local and government officials, and finally, the, the governor of the state has essentially veto power over that, that acquisition. Um, for practical purposes, in all three cases that we have, where we have approved the, these applications, the local community as in, and the governor have, in fact, supported it. Uh, it's even though the local community's support is not mandated under the under the act. In fact, I I think that if you take that in connection with the land acquisition regulations that we have in Section 25 CFR Part 151, it it is extremely unlikely that the secretary here would ever make a positive two-party termination if the local community, in fact, is, is opposed to this. And when I, when I go around, I, I, I stress to, to tribes who, who are thinking about this that, that local community support is absolutely crucial to, uh, to have this, uh, this process go forward. Um, well, one thing we have, and let me just, now this is what we've done, let me just mention briefly what what we are doing, we have, as you, as you may know, we, we um, published regulations in 25 CFR Part 292 back in, in 2000, uh, or maybe a little earlier, that would have implemented the two-party determination. And I think the, um, uh, the Bush administration, when it came over, was not really interested in pushing those regulations, but we're now uh, trying to revive them uh, to essentially, and we're thinking about, uh, about moving forward again on those, and we would essentially uh, put in the regulations not only the implementation of Section 20B1A, the two-party termination, but also the, uh, the definitions uh, and uh, tests that we have imposed for these other exceptions, like, like initial reservation, settlement of a land claim, and, and, and other things of this nature. And we'll, we'll, we'll see exactly, essentially, where that goes. We, we understand, finally, in my testimony, we, we want to work with the committee on addressing the problems that have been identified for the future to make sure that we understand what was the intent of Congress in 1988 in enacting these exceptions. And um, we definitely would be interested in, in looking at some of these issues that, um, that we think can be nailed down. And, and with that, uh, that will uh, end my comments, and I'll be available for questions. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Ms. Coleman, welcome. Thank you. Good morning. Chairman McCain, Vice Chairman Dorgan, Senator Smith. My name is Penny Coleman. I'm the Acting General Counsel for the National Indian Gaming Commission. I really appreciate the chance to come speak to you. Uh, a lot of people don't, uh, don't realize that the National Indian Gaming Commission has an important role in these Indian land decisions. And so I wanted to come here to, talk, to tell you that we do, that, it, that it's a very important process to us. 
and that these decisions are difficult and we struggle with them. And um, so I wanted to tell you a little bit about that. Indian, la Indian lands, that's the foundation upon which you have Indian gaming. Now, Indian gaming can only be conducted on Indian lands. And IGRA defines Indian lands, it requires that to be gaming to be on the Indian lands, it limits our authority, the Commission's authority, to Indian lands, and it establishes the general prohibition uh, against gaming on lands after October of 88. And then, of course, we have all of the exceptions we've been talking about so far. Those Indian lands are central to our functions because we have to determine whether the gaming facility is on Indian lands and it's central to our function because we can only regulate on Indian lands. So we have to know whether or not there are Indian lands there. And if, if there aren't any Indian lands, for instance, um, we took a position in Oklahoma, a fee lands, no reservation, and we said these are not Indian lands, we cannot regulate it. And we, we sent that information to the state, and, the, and so now the state is, is looking to, has moved to close down that particular facility based on the theory that it's within its jurisdiction. We, so we when we you say Indian lands, that means Indian-owned lands as well as trust lands? Ah, uh, there's so much more to it because first, Indian lands is, decided, is defined as reservation lands. So if it's within a reservation, no problem. But Trust status, yes. But if it's off-reservation then it has to either be held in trust or restricted status, and the tribe has to exercise governmental authorities over it. And to exercise governmental authorities over it, they have to do both present-day exercise. So, in other words, they have to have law enforcement, maybe have tribal offices. They have to do actual, right now, governmental, uh, exercise governmental powers over it but they also have to have that theoretical right to exercise that, that power. And so, for instance, if you have fee lands off reservation, as a general matter, a tribe's not going to have that theoretical right. But What about tribally owned lands, not fee, but they buy some land in downtown Denver? Those are fee lands. Those are fee lands. Right. Those are still fee lands. So they set up a police force and a government entity, they own the land, they bought it. Now, is that under your jurisdiction? No, generally not, because, because the tribe owns those lands in fee and cannot just, by buying the lands, take them outside of the jurisdiction of the state. When you say generally not, are there conditions under which it is under your jurisdiction? There are... I'm aware of in Alaska, there are fee lands that are held as restricted against alienation. It's a very unusual situation. I haven't actually run into it in any other place. Uh, and it was, it was a result of the unusual history of Alaska, where there were, where the lands are fee lands that are restricted against alienation. So these lands, they have to not only Acquire some way, but they have to have it be in trust status. Yes. 
So we get into it. We, we, the commission, both trying to determine whether or not we we can regulate this, but also because we have management contracts that are subject to our approval, and we have to determine, make sure that the facility management is on. Management contracts are subject to your approval, but consulting contracts aren't. That's correct, Senator. So well, we have very few management contracts anymore, and we have lots of consulting contracts. We don't have all that many consulting contracts anymore because we've taken a rather broad view as to what consulting contracts mean. And so we have taken the view that if uh, just because they call it a consulting contract doesn't make it a consulting contract. It has to actually be one uh, where they're providing just very specific deliverables for a specific sum of money. If it looks like a management contract, then we've concluded it is a management contract. So have you taken action that has reduced the amount of money that a so-called, quote, consulting contract, but is actually a management contract? What we do is, um, to do that, we we issue advisory opinions. Tribes and, and um, as contractors submit, those, submit their contracts to us, to the Office of General Counsel. We review them, and we look at them primarily for two reasons, one to see if they're management and, and the other to see if they violate the, the requirement that the tribe have the sole proprietary interest in the gaming. Do you know of any tribe that has had to void a contract because yes. of your determination? Yes. Go ahead, please. So besides management contracts, on occasion we do have site-specific tribal ordinances that we have to approve or disapprove. And so if the ordinance is site-specific, we'll also have to make a decision on those. How large is your staff? Um, there are approximately 10 attorneys. And there are how many Indian gaming operations? There are approximately 404. We have 10 attorneys monitoring the activities of 404? Yes, sir. Please proceed. Thank you. Now, we offer, we offer advisory opinions also on these Indian lands. The Office of General Counsel does. And the reason why we do that is, is for a couple of reasons. One is, is if the tribe wants to go ahead and game, it's, it's, it's in their best interest and in everyone's best interest to find out beforehand whether or not they're going to be able to game on that particular piece, piece of property. And so we will review those for them. And um, also, though, we will review Indian, Indian lands um, when the tribe has already opened a facility and we have a reason to believe that, that uh, the property may not be Indian lands. And so we need to do that in order to make sure that they're gaming in accordance with IGRA. They have been occasion where they haven't and we've had to tell them, tell tribes to shut down. And um, uh, that, of course, is not the way to go to have a, a facility already in place before you have that kind of determination made. Have they fought you in the courts? Pardon? Tell them they have to shut down and they fought you in court? Absolutely. Have they won or lost? Um, well, I guess the, the Wyandotte is still pending. The Miami, we won. And what other ones have we had? It's, it's 
Uh, Look at him. You know, George. <laughs> George you would remember memory. your losses, wouldn't you? Huh? Wouldn't you remember your losses? Yes, well, we must not have had any. <laughs> Submit that for the record, would you please? Absolutely. Thank you. Go ahead. Um, and the reason why I'm looking at George is because we share this this uh, this responsibility with the department. Obviously, the department has a really important role in this, and so we entered into a memorandum of understanding with the Office of the Solicitor to share our work and to work together on these issues. Uh, uh, the Division of Indian Affairs has a few people who work on these issues. George, of course, does, and and then our office, and then and we provide drafts. We share information. The Bureau of Indian Affairs obviously has the copies and the deeds and, the, and a lot of the relevant information we need to make these decisions. So we try to work very closely together. For many years, the department assumed the primary role for for making these decisions. And but as gaming has expanded, as there's gotten to be more and more uh, facilities, as we've needed more and more to make these decisions, uh, the Office of General Counsel started writing more of the opinions. Um, it was rather a natural transition. I worked in the Office of the Solicitor before I worked in the in the Office of General Counsel. And so, you know, we we know and understand what the department's issues are. We try to work really close with, with them. And nonetheless, we wanted to let you know that this is not a small undertaking, that this is difficult, that we've all together in the last 10 years have probably only issued about 50 full-blown opinions. And that's with the department, too. And um, and uh, we have about 40 pending right now. Um, we have, or we have about 50 pending right now. Somebody counted them for me. And some of these are really simple. You know, it's, if it's trust lands on the reservation, no problem. It's Indian lands. If it's and um, we don't have to spend a lot of time looking into this issue. We don't have to write a full-blown opinion. All we have to do is determine it is. But there are other ones that are very complex and difficult. And, and the one that was alluded to by George is the, the restored lands, that, gen, that exception to the general prohibition for gaming on uh, after October of 88, when lands are taken in trust as part of the restoration of a tribe, and um, when it's been restored to federal recognition. To fall within the restored land exception, a tribe must establish that it's restored, and then it must establish that the parcel has been restored. So to be restored to federal recognition, you must have been recognized at one point, you must have been terminated, and then you must be re-recognized. And the... The being recognized right now is, is usually pretty easy. We can look to the Secretary's list of recognized tribes, or we can look to um, recent enactment of, the, of Congress that a tribe has been restored to recognition. But um, to, to determine whether somebody's been previously recognized is a lot more complex. There are tribes that are recognized through the, bar, uh, the BIA's bar process 
that weren't necessarily previously recognized but are now recognized. There, um, uh, so it, it's it's we have to look at at their relationship back in the 18th and 19th century. We have to look to their political history, their ethnographic history. We have to, you know, we work with the tribe, we work with the department, we work with the state, um, we work with historians and archivists to just pull all of that information together. And then we have to go even further when we're trying to determine whether lands are restored. Because just because you require lands doesn't mean that they are restored lands. You know, every time a tribe acquires land into trust does not mean that just because they're a restored tribe that the lands are restored. You know, we've had several court cases on this, and so we had some real guidance on, on what restored lands means now. And what we do is we look to the factual circumstances of the acquisition. We look to the location of the acquisition. Um, like for instance, the location of the acquisition are they have they if the tribe is located in uh, California, are they seeking to acquire the land a mile away from where their population base is, or are they looking to seek to get it in Nevada? Well, we would say that if it, if they're trying to acquire it in the next state, that's that's way too far afield. We look, we're, we're looking to where the population base is. And we're looking to whether or not this land is important to the tribe, whether they still have some relationship with that land, whether they, that it was important to them throughout history, if that was a place where they had village settlements, where they did their hunting and fishing, uh, whether they have uh, um, burial grounds, whether they have you know, this really important historical nexus besides the present-day nexus to the land. And we look to the temporal relationship to the acquisition. So a tribe that was restored to recognition 40 years ago and acquired land two years later, that's going to be its restored lands. The fact that it's been restored to recognition and wants to acquire land now, that doesn't make it restored lands because that's just too too far after the fact. So it's got to be close in time. And and um, so, for instance, in the litigation that we are in, in Wyandotte of Oklahoma, um, they had, the tribe had acquired land into trust in the state of Kansas. And we said, population base is in the state of Oklahoma. Um, this land was not important to the tribe as a general matter. They were only there, located in that, on that property for 11 years. It was transitioning through, essentially, through Kansas. And it was 18 years after their, rec their restoration that they were actually, um, uh, that they actually acquired this land into trust. So we concluded that this, these were not restored lands. And so, so we're looking, uh, very closely at all of this. And, and to do that, the tribe has to provide voluminous historical documents, archaeological evidence. It takes tribes time and money to submit this information, and, and it takes time for us to review it. But um, does it mean that we have a really broad exception to the general prohibition? Absolutely not. It's a very narrow 
a exception, and there have only been a few that have come within these guidelines. As George mentioned, um, most of the restoration, mo most of the restored tribes, is actually congressional action. It's not an action uh, based on you know looking at IGRA and, and trying to de determine what the terms mean. It's uh, looking. It's uh, statutory construction instead. Now, with respect to your notation that there's only 10 of us, uh, we have been criticized by the Office of Inspector General because we're not making these, decision, these decisions on Indian lands before tribe opens the game, gaming facilities, and because we're um, we, because we don't really have a systematic approach to making these decisions, uh, because we're 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 making the decisions as we determine that they are important, and when we find out that that there might be a, a big problem, and and that's not uh, not necessarily great government, um, and so we have shared the so we do share the inspector general's concern on this, and and what we are moving to do is is to fix that within our office. And so uh, just a couple of weeks ago, a team from the Office of General Counsel went down to Oklahoma. We started pulling deeds for the Oklahoma facilities. Uh, our region director in California hi hired a title search uh, company to do some title searches. We're, we're developing um, files and, you know, with the goal that at some point we'll have a file on all 404 and um, and we'll be able to pull a file at any point and be able to tell you whether or not it's on Indian lands. And we'll know whether or not we should be regulating and know whether we should be trying, attempting to close it down. And, um, and, and, you know, if we don't make these decisions before the tribe opens, well, then we will have litigation. And we, it's just going to be guaranteed. You're going to have a, a tribe is going to have to fight us if they've already opened their facility, and we say you can't have a facility. And and so consequently, one of the things that we're looking at is is developing regulations um, that ties the licensing of the facility to an Indian lands determination, so that we can ask tribes to notify us ahead of time if they're planning on opening. And I don't mean the day before, I mean enough time so that we can actually determine this and, and you know, get all of the information we need to make sure that they are gaming on Indian lands. And so that, that's our involvement in Indian lands determinations, and I thank you very much. And if, I have, if you have any questions, please ask.